the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The book of Revelation is a fascinating book, one that will capture our attention this week on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The book of Revelation, it is a fascinating book, one full of mystery, intrigue, but yet still clear enough for us to understand it. We invite you to join us today as Pastor Gary Wagner takes us to Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 20 today. His message is called The Star of Revelation, and we're looking at just that. Who is the star of this book? Who is the one that captures our attention? Well, that's what we're finding out today as we begin our introductory look, if you will, to this amazing book. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program. In verse 1 it says, This is about the things that must shortly take place. And then in the last part of verse 3 it says, For the time is near. And when it comes to interpreting any historical document, you have to begin with the original intent of the author. What did the original first century writer, who, of course, is John the Apostle, who wrote this book just before 70 A.D., mean by the time is near? Now, we know it was before 70 A.D. and the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, because if you remember from last week, later he is told to measure the temple, which means the temple was still standing When he wrote this and later on, John talked about things that took place during the reign of emperor whose name's numerical value was 666 and Neo Caesar's numerical value of his name was 666 and he died in 68 A.D. So this is a book written by John just prior to 70 A.D. and the fall of Jerusalem. And it was written about things that were to shortly happen. So what we must ask the book of Revelation is not what it does it mean to us. That is not the first question that we should ask. The first question we should ask is, what did it mean to the people who lived in the first century that first received the book? How do the various figures of speech and the images in the book relate to them? How did they understand it? And then having gone from there, we work up to our own era and ask the book of Revelation, now based on its historical roots, how does it relate to us? Now, I want to give you an outline of the book of Revelation before we go on, and you can actually find it in verse 19. It says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which are to take place after these things. Now, what are the things which you have seen? 
Well, you go to verses 10 and 11, and it says, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. So what he has seen includes everything he has written in the first chapter of Revelations, verses 9 through 20. In chapters 2 and 3, we have a description of the seven churches in Turkey at that point in time to whom, of course, the book of Revelation was written. And the things that will be thereafter are in chapter 4 to the end of the book. Now, let me give you a brief outline of chapter 4 to the end of the book. It just flows absolutely naturally here. Chapter 4 through to chapter 12, you have the first prophecy of seven sealed books. In chapter 13 through the first part of chapter 20, you have a second prophecy of a little book. In the last part of chapter 20 through the first part of chapter 22, you have the final revolt of Satan, the last judgment, and the consummation of the universe. And then in the last verses of chapter 22, you have the conclusion, which are the blessings and the curses and the benedictions. And now I want to give you an outline of the chapters of Revelation. In chapter 1, you have the introduction of the main character. Chapter 2 and 3, you have the letters to the seven churches. Chapters 4 and 5, you have the vision of God's sovereignty. Chapters 6 through 8, you have the opening of seven seals. Chapters 8 through 11, you have the blowing of seven trumpets. Chapters 12 through 14, you have seven plagues. Then in chapters 15 through 20, you have the total triumph of Christ. And in chapters 21 and 22, you have the new heavens and the new earth. Now let's go back to verses 4 through 7 of Revelation chapter 1, because those verses, uh, you will see the setting forth of the theme of the book of Revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me read verses 4 through 7 of chapter 1. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. There, in a very real sense, is a discussion of the main theme of the book of Revelation. Because it is about the triumph of grace and peace. So we cannot understand the book of Revelation until we have settled, have a settled understanding of grace and peace. How they affect life, how they affect the world, because that is the statement of the thesis of this book. Now understand, as I pointed out last week, the historical situation of these seven churches in Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3. They are marked 
by two things. Fierce persecution by Rome and Caesar worshipers. The church, like Judaism in the first century, was under the thumb of the state. The second thing about the churches in Asia Minor is that they were being abused by apostate Jews and legalistic Judaism. And there you have the two great enemies of the church in the first century, anti-Christian Rome with its tyranny, its persecution, its Caesar cults. And the second enemy was apostate Judaism and its attempts to discredit Christianity. And Judaism was the first persecutor of Christianity, according to most of the books of the New Testament. But that persecution ended when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So the book of Revelation is about how Christ deals with the first two great enemies of the church, the Roman Empire and apostate Judaism. And as you shall see, Christ triumphs over both. Now, what does the word grace mean? I know you know most of these things, but some of you don't, so I need to make sure, since the book is about the triumph of grace and peace. Well, grace is the perfection of God. It is his unmerited favor towards sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is also referred to in the New Testament as a power. Paul says, I am what I am because of the power of the grace of God. Also, God's grace is viewed as our favorable standing before God, and grace is also a spiritual gift of God. In fact, grace is one of the foremost words in the New Testament. So what is peace? Peace is a state of reconciliation with God because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is that calmness of soul that comes from knowing your sins are forgiven and that you are in God's hands. Peace means the healing of broken relationships. And the thing for us to remember is that peace, which is shalom in the Old Testament and Irene in the New Testament, from which we actually get the name Irene, means restoration of full health and of God's order. The restoration of God's order in a person's life and in human society. And peace is not a subjective experience. Peace has to do with life on this earth. After all, remember what the angel said to the shepherd at the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth toward men upon whom God's good pleasure rests. So peace is the universal restoration of God's order to individuals and human society. Now, there were three proposed gospels in the first century, and they're all here in the book of Revelation. The first two gospels are myths. They are pseudo-gospels, and they get you absolutely nowhere with God. And the last one is the only true gospel that saves individuals and societies from the consequences of sin. The first pseudo-gospel is the gospel of Rome. The second pseudo-gospel is the gospel of apostate Judaism. And the third gospel is, of course, the gospel of Christianity and the book of Revelation. And that gospel is set over the first two. Now, what was the gospel of Rome 
in terms of grace and peace. Here it is. Peace without grace. That is the gospel of tyrannical political institutions. You see, you don't need grace. You don't need God's favor to establish the Pax Romana, the power of Rome. You need a strong army. You need a strong bureaucracy. You need a citizenry that is strongly committed to serve that leadership. Leaders committed to this type of peace say, you can have peace on earth, and you don't need the grace and the mercy of God to do it. But, beloved, that type of gospel leads to slavery and eventually to death. So peace without grace was the gospel of Rome. Then what was the gospel of apostate Judaism that turned its back on the religion of the Old Testament and became legalistic? Peace before grace. Now, both of these gospels are still popular today. And peace before grace means that if you want to experience God's favor and God's blessings on your life, you have to earn it. You've got to deserve it. There has got to be the healing of relationships. There has to be the restoration of godly order in your life. And then, if you restore godly order in your life by meeting all the conditions of God in the Bible, then God will give you grace. And that was a failure too, even though later it was modified and became the false gospel of the Roman Catholic Church. There's only one gospel that can save individuals and cultures from sin, and that is the gospel of the book of Revelation and of Christianity, which says grace alone produces peace. Grace before peace. Before you can have peace in your heart, before you can have peace with God, before you can have peace on earth, there has to be an exertion of God's grace in the captivating of the human heart. And with a sufficient number of human hearts, the society will surrender to Him. So you have here the gospel of politics, peace without grace, the gospel of apostate religions, peace before grace, and the gospel of Christianity, which is grace before peace. Now notice where the, this grace comes from. John goes into great detail to explain to you the source of grace and peace. And I want you to notice, first of all, this was written by John to the seven churches. Now, what do we know about this John the Apostle? This is the John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's identified here in verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he wrote this while he was exiled on this remote island for being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a word of theology there in verse 9. He says, I am your brother and fellow partaker of the kingdom of Christ, and the kingdom of Christ is not some future event we have yet to experience. The perfection of it we have yet to experience, yes, 
But John the Apostle said he's already a member of the kingdom of Christ in the first century before 70 A.D. But the important thing is that he is a fellow partaker in the tribulation, not in a tribulation, but the tribulation, which is mentioned in Matthew 24, which the premillennialists think is going to take place over a seven-year period after the rapture of Jesus at the end of the world. But John said he's already in it. I'm already experiencing the tribulation that Jesus talked about. So if anybody asks you, are we going through the tribulation? You say, well, it's been over now for a couple of thousand years. That it took place with the fall of Jerusalem. And John the Apostle said that he was already in it. Now notice that where this grace and peace originates. From our triune God. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. From him who is and who was and who is to come. There you have God the Father. He's mentioned in that way several times. You even see it in verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that Greek phrase, who is and who was and who is to come in Greek, is the definition of the word Jehovah. And the word Jehovah is literally Yahweh. God told Moses, when Moses asked, what am I to say? is the name of God who has sent me to Pharaoh. And God said, tell him, I am sent you. Yahweh sent you. Now, what I am means is I live, I've always lived, and I always will live. I am the God who was and who is and who is to come. So the book of Revelation tells us that this grace and peace in the gospel of the New Testament originates with Jehovah. And secondly, we see from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, beloved, that doesn't mean the seven spirits uh, uh, are, who are before this throne uh, are actually the Holy Spirit himself. The word seven throughout scripture is the number for perfect and completion. And so it is talking about the perfection and the completion of the Holy Spirit's activity on the earth, the church and in the world. It is not seven separate spirits. So then you have the seven spirits before the throne, the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, climatically, you have the second person of the Trinity incarnate. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. That is, everything he says can be trusted. He is the faithful witness. All of his words are reliable. He is faithful and true. His word is absolute. He is completely trustworthy. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Now, that's a Hebrew phrase that means he is the heir of everything his father possesses, which means that God has given to his son 
the Lord Jesus Christ to administer and control all of the property of the Father, which is the entire universe. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Whenever anyone asks me, and I get asked this quite often, why am I so interested in politics as a pastor? I always give them that verse, Revelation 1, 5. Because Jesus is said to be the ruler of the kings of the earth, which is a political statement. He is the ruler to whom all other kings and political personages and institutions and powers are accountable. He is the supreme one to whom the president, Congress, the judicial system, governors, every political institution is accountable. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And notice the three things he does for us. To him who loves us, never-ending, constant, always did he love us. And he loves us now, and he always will. And released us, past tense, from our sins by his blood, pointing to his death on the cross. And he has made us to be a kingdom. That is, he has not saved us as solitary individuals to live our own detached individuals' lives. But he has released us from our sins by his blood to be a kingdom, a unified society of people under his leadership who are to act as priests to his God and Father. Now, what do priests do? Well, priests intercede. In the Old Testament, Levitical priests interceded with God on behalf of the people, and the priests represented God before the people. And as a result, they were the main teachers of the people with the word of God. So Christ has saved us from our sins, having loved us, loving us now, to make us a unified kingdom of priests who are interceders for this world, and who spend our time trying to teach the people of God how God wants us to live in this world. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Now there you have a clear statement of what the book of Revelation is about. It is about the gospel of grace before peace that originates with the triune God who is and who was and who is to come the seven spirits before the throne and the Lord Jesus Christ who most particularly released us from our sins because he loves us and he is now the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that is very important as we continue to study the book of Revelation. To him be glory and the power forever. Beloved, do not ever live as defeated beaten down, depressed, powerless slaves. Christians are loved. They are redeemed. They are established as kings and priests by him who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. We reign with him now and always march in the train of his triumph. 
Press the claims of our king upon individuals and institutions in our nations. Do not let humanists get away with anything. Constantly remind them of their bankruptcy apart from Christ. Constantly remind them of the inevitability of their fall. Constantly call them to repentance and to faith and constantly work against their efforts and for the rebuilding of God's kingdom. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866. 866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 